are listening to Space Time Mind, a podcast by two philosophy professors, Richard Brown and Pete Mandick, who talk about philosophy, science, and all sorts of other stuff. Please be advised that this podcast contains strong language and abstract ideas not suitable for all intelligent life forms. You would enter reality for all concepts of time and continue talking about this a little bit more before the baby says we have to stop yeah because um, we didn't talk about the other half of the conference which is about mental qualities so we've been talking a lot about higher order thoughts but not about the qualities you want to squeeze um, on some qualities some qualities yeah so some of the interesting things about quality i mean obviously alex Byrne was there so he was trying to argue that there aren't any mental qualities Excellent. Um, i love that guy yeah exactly and so he's an intentionalist about sensations i guess and so he wanted just the things you'd like like of red <laughs> and about blue to be right. things that we call first order states. Right. Um, but they, but they are mental qualities in the sense that people like Rosenthal want them to be their intentional states. Right. Um, although he, I mean, you know, it's weird. Once you get into the details, it's incredibly strange because then he wants to say, no, there are things that you're aware of. You're aware of blue because yeah. the thing it represents blue so you're aware of blue he's got this weird back door too where there's phenomenal propositions yeah so you uh these intentional states aren't just you're not just aware like we were calling it fact aware you're not just fact aware that yeah it has a blue shirt you're thinking aware of some blueness somehow <laughs> well there, there's a phenomenal proposition so it's like the proposition that his shirt is blue plus some kind of extra there's an extra magical property that wards off chalmers style objection to your theory <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was calling it at the conference funky content he was like yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> because uh he was when they were talking about um or our and after his discussion they were in the discussion after his talk rosenthal and he were uh you know arguing about empty representations and unconscious experiences and stuff like that yeah and so burn uh, alex was like well you know so when they just have the higher representation and no first order state how can it be like consciously experiencing blue because there's no first order thing there there's in that funky content gives it the kind of thing uh the experience of blueness part and, and you know david's view on this is no well, you just need that, the awareness as of that thing there and that is the funky experience of blue or whatever. So, so that I, I still think that that's why, you know, a lot of times I feel like in my own work, I'm not doing much that's all that exciting, but I am sort of saying, here's yeah. the way that if you really like phenomenal consciousness and you take that stuff seriously, then this is what David's actually saying. Right. <laughs> what he's saying is phenomenal consciousness is the higher order state itself. It's okay. just the thought. And to me, that, that, it has the virtue of making it clear the kind of how to debate the other side, but also how ex extraordinarily crazy and strange the view actually is. 
if you're saying that phenomenal consciousness just is a certain kind of thought and people go, what? That can't be what you're saying. He's like, yeah, actually it is what he's saying. It's just the right kind of thought occurring in the right way in the right time and so forth and so on. But it's not in kind different from other kinds of thoughts. And that's a right people when they, cause that's why people want to preserve this idea that there's a relation that the first order state is there. It's a different kind of thing. You become aware of it and it was there all along and now you're just aware of it. So to me, that's the, you're, if that's the way you think about it, you're pushed towards the Chalmers kind of view, which claims that these qualities are fundamental, that they're part of our basic nature of reality. And Sam Coleman was there. So that is the argument he pressed that, you know, the mental qualities are fundamental. Their pan qualityism is the view that he likes. He calls it a kind of physicalism, which, as you know, I think is a verbal dispute and you think isn't true. But um, wait, what do I think isn't true? That calling pan qualityism a kind of physicalism is uh, what? Uh, sorry, I lost some chunks of that. What? What do I think is what? Who thinks what? Uh, that well, so pan qualityism, whether it's a verbal dispute, well, over to call that a version of physicalism or not. Um, what, what do I think, and what do you think? I think it is a verbal issue, not a serious question. It's a verbal question, whereas you don't think that. Um, I'm not sure. So you think, think that the qualities, if well, I, I thought on our previous discussions, you had come out pretty strongly in uh, the other side, saying it's not, it's not a kind of physicalism. Yeah. It's kind of silly to think of it as kind of anything you said. <laughs> but so anyway, so that, um, that I think it's a verbal issue whether if that view turns out to be, I think, yeah, a thousand years from now, they could be calling those things physical if that theory is the wins out or something. I mean, they would, you know, physicists will end up calling anything physical if it plays a role in their theories. <laughs> I think there's a way of, um, you know, I got to write a book about consciousness is what it comes down to. But about, I think there's a way like a lot of this is going to come down for me uh, in terms of like how to analyze the phrase what it's like. Yeah. And there's, a, I think, a neutral way of an analyzing it whereby something like what the like Michael Ty intentionalists have been saying all along that, yeah. you know, those the properties of which you are aware, they're just regular old properties. Is this a panpsychism? K kind of in the sense. Yeah, that kind of. I know that's what I was pushing, Sam. But it's yeah. likeness is just, it's these plain old properties that are out there um but it's not like yeah. fundamentally things are mental that i think is false uh although if you know i kind of i kind of like you're dismissing it as a verbal dispute because i think all metaphysics just turns into you know insofar as metaphysics is something distinct from science yeah. then it's just a bunch of people arguing about how to use words so i kind of am attracted to your blowing it off as a verbal dispute well yeah because pan this the can pan quality stuff is defined to be a way of being outside the realm of science <laughs> that you have to add these things in as yeah. fundamental posits um but that don't change the the physics because you have to accept some pretty hardcore Russellian views about physics i guess or whatever but anyway but so, I, but on your your view the view that you defended at the conference or the, that you described at the conference i didn't defend any view yeah right I just, I yeah just you don't defend yeah. views no I wouldn't say that about you. Yeah, thank you. Um, but I would. I might. This might be my view. I might take this on. Okay. Is there, on on this on the view that you were describing at the conference, does it have funky content, or is it just? Well, actually, what I said is you could have it either way. So I think that if you if you like if you're Rosenthal, yeah, you have the you have the mental qualities. They're homo 
morphic spaces of qualities. Right. And that's, I think that's a perfectly intelligible theory. And that's non-funky, right? Now that's funky. I, oh, I, it is funky? funky? It I thought funky was something, something Chalmers-y. Um, some, uh, yes, well, it depends on what you mean by Chalmersy, but yeah, so that's not that funky. <laughs> non-reducible, non-reducible. Quality. Yeah, it's not. No, 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 no. There's nothing that funky there. No, 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 no. Um, okay. Not on, the, not on that view. Uh, but on, the, my, on my, like the way I do things, yeah, I think you could have it or not have it. So I think that you could have a version of that that's a that has the higher order. I mean, I th and in, in some sense, I think this is kind of the view that. Uh, uh, people like David Chalmers have, except he doesn't think, so he's a higher, he's a self-representationalist of some sort. I, I know that, um, that when you are aware of red, you're also acquainted with your awareness of red. Um, and that's a kind of uh, awareness. So that's what you're, this is what, where we're gonna differ obviously, but when I say something's higher order or not, what I mean is that they accept the idea that there is a kind of inner awareness required for consciousness. Um, awareness of mental things as opposed to awareness of things that are out there. So that's what I mean by higher order. I simply mean aware, uh, something is higher order when it's an awareness of something mental as opposed to something out there or whatever. Um, of course, the awarenesses have both, so that it, the way I would cash it out, the higher order thought is an awareness of the external property, um, blue, the physical property of blue, uh, but you're aware of it by describing a certain mental quality as being the kind that's associated with physical blue. <laughs> so you're aware of a mental quality, but also of the perceptible property, the physical quality of the physical quality of blue and the mental quality of blue. To me, that's why it's important that the con the word blue kind of does do double duty. So this is something that this is something that Alex was disputing and other people disagree with, but. Um, you know, I, I think that it's plausible that the words we use to describe our mental qualitative states are the very same words that we use to describe the perceptible properties. And this is something that I, you know, comes right out of David's work. He defends it. Uh, some people deny it, whatever. But, uh, you know, so I say, you stab me with a knife and by Jove, I have a stabbing pain. Right. <laughs> and I know what a stabbing pain is and I, how, by how similar it is to things like that. I know what a burning pain is. And and right. those are different than the stabbing ones. And so we say that's a burn, it's a burning pain. That's blue, it's physical blue, it's mental blue. So to me, when you say I am in, I am seeing blue, which is something like what the higher order state says, the blue there is, is a concept of the mental quality, but also a concept of the perceptible quality. Um, we use the same word. And of course, at the first order level, the theory says you have a representation of the perceptible property, the mental quality, and also a kind of thought that says, you know, blue object. So whatever else you say, I would say that the first order states on, on Rosenthal's view at least, have this dual content, uh, or there's two states or whatever one state with two content. The kind of representational but not intentional blue of physical blue, and then the intentional representation that there is blue, and the two, they go together. Um, the first order thought that there is a blue object in the environment, that's a perceptible thought. Okay, but then when you're aware of it, what you're aware of is the mental quality as being the kind of thing that hangs out with blue thoughts. <laughs> so you're aware of the quality, but as being as a presentation of the physical property blue. Um, that quality doesn't this, have to exist. Yeah, because you're you would be uh, the claim is that you're aware of. Uh, but this is so. This is where I've always disagreed with David, and where my you know we've had our many arguments, but. 
David's oh me and you yeah we've had arguments about related issues um, yeah. but David's whole thesis of intentionality is descriptions right <laughs> so what it means for a thought to be about something is that it describes it and then how good does the description have to be well I mean that he doesn't really seem to care that much you know eventually it stops being a good description of that state yeah and then you look for one that sort of fits it the best or whatever but I mean yeah so his view is if there's nothing that matches to the description that that from the description's point of view it's still describing the same thing and it's the description that matters not the thing described not the so if the first order state is not there to be accurately characterized you still are presenting a certain story or characterization in which the thing appears and that's the the yeah. thing that matters well, um, I, like, I like that by the way yeah so that that yeah, exactly so that um whereas to me that seems well then how in what sense is it really about <laughs> well it could be you put a different state there that was exactly the same and if the description of match so it's really about that state now as opposed to the other one that so that's where i like causal theories of of reference that try to somehow pick out the thing which is being described yeah but in a way that's independent of the description and in a way that allows you to say that you described the thing radically or that whatever misdescribed it etc cetera, etc cetera. um so that you could sort of single out the thing and then say well the description is of this and david's view is no you start with the description right. and then whichever sort of thing seems to fit it is the thing that was being described and yeah. i to me that just seems implausible um well uh, so, but so that's so. In answer to your questions earlier about oh, does the state need to exist or whatever, his claim is no, because it's the describing by the higher order state that matters. Yeah. And from that point of view, the thing being there or not doesn't matter. It's described as being there, and that's and you, that's you, all that counts. I don't. I guess I don't get what your complaint is against that. Um, you said something like that's. You don't see how that's really aboutness, or yeah. Well, I don't see how that's uh, really awareness. Oh, how it's really awareness. Yeah. I mean. Oh, 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 yeah. So, right. When we were talking about Australia and Africa, we, we should have also talked about Luke Skywalker. Yeah. So, if I, so, so uh, here's a, uh, a fact, and these are scare quotes, everybody. Here's a fact. Luke Skywalker has a, a green lightsaber. <laughs> it's a, here's another fact. Luke Skywalker had to get in shape for his new movie. Well, that's not true. It is true. He didn't have to. Yes, it was in the contract. <laughs> it was, they required it. They could have CGI'd him. Um, <laughs> they're being cheap. But see, I was using, I was referring to the actual guy, not the character. But you do, do you think name. if uh, the folk, the folk <laughs> that you teach over there in New York, would they say that you could be <laughs> that Luke Skywalker has a green lightsaber? Can you, can you do be what now? Can you be aware that Luke Skywalker has a, a green lightsaber, or can you be aware of? Luke Skywalker's green lightsaber. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I if, would say so, uh, yes, but you might not be aware of the thing you think you are. <laughs> you're what you're really aware of is J.J. Abrams, and uh, yeah, a, a, a choice that he made or an imaginative act that he made, which resulted in something, an abstract object occurring, what or is? in some cases, a depiction on screen occurring. But yeah. Uh, um, an imagine it. So this is just a Kripke line that it goes back to the sort of, if, if necessary, goes back to the creative act of the author. That's plausible when someone is fooled. So, for example, if there was a uh, a cardboard cutout of Marilyn Monroe, and you uh -huh. didn't you didn't even know she had died several decades ago, uh, and and you saw this cardboard cutout like you know from a 
several paces away. Yeah. Um, it might be very tempting for you to say that you were aware of Marilyn Monroe. And we might say, no, he, what he was aware of was a cardboard cutout. Yeah. He was aware of it as Marilyn Monroe, but he wasn't aware of Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Um, but now we take a case where you're, where you're, you're not fooled. Like, whatever, whatever's going on with you and Luke Skywalker when you're watching a movie, unless you're like a little kid or something, you're not fooled. You're, you're well aware that he's a fictional character. And that's yeah. the kind of case that I'm interested in right now. Right. Are you, uh, in those cases, can you be aware that he has a green lightsaber? Right. Or can you be aware of his green lightsaber? And I don't mean yeah. you're aware of the, the image on the screen. No, I'm, the question is, are you aware of the, this fictional character and his fictional Well, first you said aware of that. Well, yeah, and also, are you aware that this fictional character has this fictional uh, doohickey? I would say yes. You would say yes? Yeah, of course. Well, score one for the right theory. No. I thought score you had one some kind for of... interpreting that in a different theory. <laughs> but I thought you had some kind of complaint about the kinds of intentionality that would be implementing the awareness relation that had something to do with like real, so-called real intentionality. Yeah, so I think you would be causally related to an, you know, a certain abstract object in the right way, which is grounded in or the source of which is a certain creative act of an individual. But you're not aware of or representing, you're neither aware of or representing or thinking about the individual. You don't know that you are. But you still are? Yes. Uh, if your term refers, yes. Um, so you, I mean, you might, it depends on how you're doing If you're, so this is the thing we just, we debated about unicorns. Um, yeah, so you, unicorns. one of the things you might wonder about is, um, uh, unicorn equals by definition horse plus horn. That's a description. Yeah. Or unicorn equals by definition that kind of animal. <laughs> pointing to an ostensible instance of a thing that which I would say looks like a horse plus horn. So the description is playing some role with picking out the thing that you're pointing out, but isn't the same, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so. And you're assuming the pointing is non-descriptive or it introduces a non-descriptive element, right? Um, well, uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, yeah, so you could, I think that pointing could be cast out as the thing the thing at which I'm looking at or something or intending for you to, so there might be an associated description, uh, but the question, the point would be that all those descriptions merely play a kind of identifying role to help you pick out the object, which then becomes a thing which is um, talked about, referred to, or whatever. So the, the claim is not that there's no descriptions involved at all. It's just- No, 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 that's not what I was asking. That they play. Yeah, I was, I, I, I'm inclined to think it's all description, even the so-called extensive case. But you think that yeah. in the extensive case, there's a, in addition to whatever descriptions, there's also a non-descriptive element that's introduced. Uh, yeah, like the thing. The thing itself <laughs> and some kind of cause to it. Well, yes. So, uh, cause so what I was say, I wasn't trying to say that I believe either one. I said there are two different questions about what a unicorn is. So one of them is simply that a unicorn is something described by in this way, a horse with a horn. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is that a unicorn is su supposed to be some particular kind of animal, uh, which somebody saw <laughs> and said, fucking A, a unicorn. They look over there. Um, those are, so those are different. 
Those are different. Those are different descriptions. Um, yeah, well, yes. I'm describing two different views. <laughs> so that, I'm using those are two different descriptions of, of what a unicorn might be or, or what uh, being unicorn yes. consists in. Right. So one of them has it that uh, you need a certain kind of content or that when you say unicorn, what you're doing is so uh, using a term which traces its history back in some nefarious way, which, you know, whatever through uh, people saying basically this is that was a unicorn um, so traces back to one particular or maybe multiple particular but anyway supposedly to one particular thing whereas the other views it just as a description and then the things can be correctly described and what that means really no one has ever really said um, okay but I guess it means something so th those are two different views uh, on one of them you're thinking about something that doesn't exist when you think about a unicorn on the other of them, you're really thinking about some particular animal or whatever it was which was pointed at or otherwise extended in the right way um, when you think about unicorns. But you're just completely unaware of that because you don't have access from a first-person point of view to the things which determine the reference of the items that occur in your thoughts. Um, and that's a way of denying the Cartesian view that the mind is transparent to itself and blah, blah, blah. And you may, and I think you like that part of it, but the basic yeah. idea is, yeah, you could be thinking about unicorns and be wrong about the thing you're thinking, think you take yourself to be thinking about. Um, so that if, as per one history, my use of the word unicorn is really grounded in someone seeing a deformed goat, and then that's if that's where the story started, then we're all thinking about that goat um, when we say unicorns, blah blah blah. Uh, that's an actual thing; it existed. So I'm not thinking about something which doesn't exist. I'm thinking, but I am thinking about something which isn't a unicorn. It's a misdescribed goat, but it's an actual object. And of course, if that's a, the wrong origin story, then that's the wrong origin story. And if there are multiple origin stories, then maybe the term is, multi, is sort of the, the causal ties pull out and it doesn't have a unique reference. Um, so there's nothing in the theory which says there has to be one animal of which this is true. It says, whatever it is in reality, such that it may be, that the term, my use of the term traces its way back to causally by a chain of people saying, by unicorns we mean that thing, by and then I get the word and then my thing traces back in the same way. Whatever that is, that's what we're talking about. And it's always gonna be something which exists so that you never end up thinking about something that doesn't exist if you have this kind of view and, or if you like this kind of view. And on the other view, you do think about things which don't exist. So that's why I was saying, yeah, you could be aware, you could be aware of the lightsaber, but you're not in thereby necessarily aware of something which doesn't exist. You may be aware of something which you aren't really aware that you're aware of. You don't know. I mean, so that's how the two stories differ. Uh, so on the view, by the way, would you like to have a, a, a whole episode about content and intentionality like yeah i mean i think we should we have in, i mean we did one with the a couple before sort of on intentionality and causal theories but there's a lot more to be said absolutely yeah let's you want to do the next next time we talk you want to because i, I sure. mean because i want to open like a whole bunch of cans of worms all at once and one of them would be like how would uh -huh. of those two theories that you've just been describing for the past few minutes how would you go about deciding which one was the right one I mean, you know, don't confuse epistemology with metaphysics, I'd say. Uh, deciding which one is true is, you that know. That doesn't help anybody. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, so we should put that off. But anyway, so I think that's a, a foundational issue here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, totally. Especially if you like intentionality um, right. and you want it to do some work and you're theorizing about how consciousness is going. Hold, can you hold on just a second? Hi. Hi. Time for timer. Time for timer. What? No time for time for time for time for Your brain will be electronically simplified. My brain? It's my second favorite organ. The inner machinations of my mind are in Hi everybody, Pete Mandic here. Before we get on with the episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who have supported us by rating us on iTunes and by leaving us suggestions at our webpage at spacetimemind.com. And also by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter at SpaceTimeMind99. I also want to let you know about a new way to support us, and that's by going to SpaceTimeMind.com contact and clicking on the little donate button at the bottom of the screen. Any little bit helps, and we need whatever we can get to keep on keeping on, and perhaps even to improve. Thanks again, everybody. Richard and I really appreciate all that the listeners have done for us so far, and we hope you continue to enjoy the show. Um, so the other, so that was out of all based on Alex's, or not based on, but that all derived from our discussion of Alex's view that there are no mental qualities, um, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So then Austin's talk was also on mental qualities, and his talk was really cool. Um, Austin Clark. Yeah. And it, I really liked his talk. So he was going after the idea that there can't be invertible quality spaces. Oh. And so, you know, Rosenthal has really put a lot of effort into trying to show that um, it's not even conceptually possible um, that there could be inverted quality spaces given the way our quality space actually works. Um, in fact, I don't even think it's given that. I think he thinks, he said something a little bit stronger, I, I think, where he says, if an animal is able to discriminate two qualities, then they can't have an, a quality space that can be inverted in any interesting way. Right. Um, so that's right. a pretty strong claim that, yeah, right. you can maybe have invertible quality spaces, but there would be no way that you could tell um, uh, from the animal's point of view which was which, and therefore uh, the animal wouldn't really have <laughs> two qualities because you know the defined yeah. quality spaces in virtue of what the animal couldn't discriminate. So I, you know, that's an interesting line. Yeah. Um, now I say, you know, I think he's a. Before I talk about Austin, I'd say my own personal reaction is that is he's too fast. I think you can easily get invertible stuff. You just have to expand what you mean. I mean. If conceivability really just means there's no in obvious contradiction, then yeah, you could imagine the animal being able to discriminate in some magical way. <laughs> there's nothing contradictory about magic. Uh, so, but anyway, so yeah. I think that um, uh, you can easily <laughs> imagine that kind of stuff and whatever that, and I think that's the kind of stuff which, you know, people like Shoemaker, et cetera, have in mind. They want to, anyway, so, yeah. uh, but Austin wanted to show that you could actually do it a different way. Um, he thought that if you take structuralism about mathematics and stuff seriously, then it's kind of just come, uh, an obvious um, thing which falls out that there are spaces which are um, uh, completely symmetric, but what, what he called weakly discriminable. Um, so the, the, he gave a lot of examples, but one of them is just the integers under addition. So you have zero as the symmetry point and then one, two, three on and then negative one, two, three, the other way. Yeah, and the yeah. two things are symmetrical so that um, you can define stuff so that it doesn't really matter which ones you're using. You can use all the negative ones and get all the same additive truths and all the pot. So that they're it, interchanging them 
is fine. You can, you can, you can imagine flipping it so that you were having thoughts in negative numbers, um, whereas I was having thoughts in positive numbers and we would have all the same kind of behavior. There's no like phenomenology of the negatives or anything, I guess, in one of the, so, but even so, negative three and three are discriminable in some weak sense. Um, they, they differ enough that we recognize that they're not the same element of the set, of the system. So even though you have this space which is invertible and which would result in indistinguishability from, um, from uh, the outside, so it would be undetectable in some strong sense, I think, for Austin. Um, uh, or maybe I'm not sure what's strong. So maybe someday we could get him on here. That'd be yeah. cool. Because uh, I'm going to go up there and talk to them. And, of course, we've got to get Susan on and stuff too. But yeah. um, uh, anyway, so, uh, so that was one example. The other example was um, I and negative I, which is an example I've always been fascinated with. Uh, the imaginary number. Yeah. But so you, they don't. There's no functional roles mathematically that distinguish them. There, so you can use one in place of the other, pretty much, and everything stays the same. Yeah. Um, and so that's why they, depending on how you want the signs to come out and stuff, you can substitute i or negative i or whatever. Uh, so, but yet they're not the same. They're weakly distinguishable in some sense. And so there seems to be another case. Um, where we have two things that are distinguishable, but even by, by, by switching them might yield uh, something. Um, and then this third example was uh, entanglement. Um, he didn't really talk about that a lot in the talk, but it was on his handout. Uh, so he thought, well, given these basic ideas, you could divide, you could sort of um, d devise a quality space that was uh, by which you know, the creatures had blue and yellow, and then it could be switched, but you wouldn't be able to do any tests that could determine which one they had. Um, but yet the system from within this point of the system is still entailed that they're distinct qualities. So yeah, I guess I'm not following this. Very interesting. It, I mean, it seems that there's, there's some kind of move. It, in, in order for to get something symmetrical, you would have to be just focusing on some of the relations that the elements enter into and then ignoring other ones. But in order for them to be distinguishable. Well, like what? Then, how do you mean? Well, so it says, Take for example um, the, the 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 example you start off with in terms of negative numbers and um, uh, positive uh, negative and positive integers. Yeah, um, and it's just addition. Is that your idea that if you don't get to yeah, do if you're just focusing on those elements, the numbers plus one relation, one or two relations, like but it's not that way with I or entanglement. Well, let me let me finish the example. Um, okay. It it so the just focusing on those elements plus that small collection of relations, yes, you can construct a homomorphism or isomorphism. You could you can construct some kind of you could show that they're symmetrical, that you can you can map the one thing onto onto itself in this other uh, under this other rotation. Yeah. However, what does their distinguishability consist in? It it's it's that not the system itself has to treat them as distinct. But then there's that that's got to mean if it's sticking with the mathematical example that there's some larger set of relations that the elements enter into relations other than the arithmetic relation that we we're talking about. I think he denies that. But so he, that he that things are fully functionally defined at the first at the at the first order level and nothing else about them is what matters according to him. In fact, he wants to do the Rosenthal kind of similarity. I mean, you know, he's, he's on board with the Leibniz law under what. W w when they're weakly distinguishable, they are distinguishable in virtue of what? 
what property the system itself entails that they're not the same element of the system but so it's in virtue of so the system properties. has to tr yeah uh -huh. the system has to treat them as distinct um given the way it's set up uh even though they're interchangeable but so you negative three and three are just defined as distinct i mean they don't have the same so it's like hex they've got these hex aids they are no, they're functional. Well, I guess if you think of the functional stuff as a hex 80, but no, they're just functionally defined. But the functional definitions, so this is why he thinks structuralism. I mean, he really says this comes out of thinking about structuralism about mathematics, like literally taking uh, stuff that, um, that mathematicians are thinking about structures and the way everything within the structure is just functionally defined. There's no extra hex 80 for negative numbers. So that's kind of one of his points. There's no specialness it's just it's all defined by the relations but then as a consequence of that all those relations it comes out that the two things are distinct in some weak sense is it a sense that violates leibniz law um he i don't think it i mean i don't know uh, what what violation you think you have in mind uh, they're not the same things so well i mean <laughs> so when people talk about leibniz law one one kind of example comes up that comes up is i think it's due to max black it's the 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 rotating steel balls example. Yeah. So could there be... So he, he talked briefly about that. Could there be a world in which there's just these two steel balls and the balls have exactly the same diameter and, and surface and, and every, you know, they are exactly, all their intrinsic properties are exactly like, and under one description of relational properties, they have exactly the same relational properties. They're the only things in the universe. So the only relation... How far apart are they? Three feet. Yeah, see, so that the system already has to treat them as distinct because they're defined as being three feet apart. But you might say that, um, that their distinctness is brute. There's nothing in virtue of which yeah. the one is distinct. There's no functional or relational thing in virtue of which. Uh, but the system, as a consequence of those system, the structure, as a okay. consequence of the structure, right. it so, entails that they're different distinct objects. The That's the sense of uh, distinct that he's after. But so then it would violate Leibniz's law because there's no property of the one ball that isn't also instantiated by the other ball. And, and that's true not only of intrinsic or, or one place properties, but also relational properties. So each ball has the relation of being far away, or three feet away from some other ball. Yes. Um, right. And right, so, right, right. So when right, I ask I mean, the question, so in virtue of what are they distinguishable, which is the Leibniz law question, the answer is nothing. There's nothing in virtue of which they're distinguishable. They just well, in virtue of the fact that they're three feet apart, and <laughs> well, the, the, and that's a relation that each. they have. So it's in virtue of the relations that they bear to each other that they're distinct. But there's no relation that the one enters into that the other one doesn't also enter into. Maybe, but it still so it seems is like a, a brute, entailment a of the. It's not brood. It's that there's two different things. No, but what in virtue? You of say, what? You're the one who said, "Can can this be set up? Can you have two things?" Three feet apart, that's all. And then so you just answer your own question. Well, there's two things. How many things? Well, I haven't two. answered my own question because I don't know <laughs> if, you, if you're interpreting this as – or if Austin Clark is interpreting this as violating Leibniz law. That's the question. Is it yeah. supposed to be a violation of Leibniz law or not? I don't know. I don't well, neither do I. So I guess I didn't answer my own question. Uh, you said oh, in virtue of your question was in virtue of what are they distinct? My right? question was: Is there any, their relations? Is there anything such that in virtue of it they are distinct? Yes, the structure, the structure as a whole, consisting of all the relations. That's in virtue of what they're distinct. <laughs> mm, yeah, but there's, but there isn't. 
Yeah, it's, I guess it still would be like, there's nothing. So you can do it like, think about the. the one has that the other lacks. Aside well, think from about entanglement. Not identity. Yeah. So think about the uh, entangled elements of a system. Um, take a maximally entangled uh, states of a quantum system. Um, I just want to point out you're going to clarify something by bringing up quantum mechanics. Yeah, a rigorous mathematical formula. Yeah, exactly. That clarifies a lot of things. Absolutely. Um, the way people interpret it is one thing, but the mathematics of the thing is beautifully clear. And it, it seems to me quite a shame that people think it's not clear. It's yeah. only not clear because uh, people want to metaphysically interpret the math. What's but the linear, linear algebra is on, you know, um, a set of vector right. spaces and math blah, blah, blah. It's perfectly Give me some math. intelligible. Bring me the math. Uh, <laughs> well, I wasn't going to bring you the math. I was going to bring you a theory based on the math. I mean, I was going to talk about entanglement, which is a mathematical notion um, and can be defined rigorously and is defined rigorously, uh, at least for simple systems. So I don't think it's muddying the waters in any way to talk about something that's an established scientific fact that's based on rigorous experiments in mathematics. That's all I was saying. It's not muddying the waters to talk about something that's um, extremely clear and understood to some extent. Go ahead, clarify for me what the heck Austin Clark is talking about. Uh, How well, I thought it was pretty clear already, but I was just going to say as another example of a system where there are two elements, um, uh, you could think about an entangled system. A, 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 two, so one where the spins, um, well, you make a measurement, one comes spin up, but the other one comes spin down. And you perfectly understood the probabilities that we would get for determining how this works, and it's been empirically verified a billion times that it does, in fact, work that way. Uh, but, of course, there's no things which really distinguish uh, the two elements except for this larger structural stuff. Um, there's no, uh, well, there's well, no... one of them be closer to Florida than the other one, for example? One of the particles? Because um, if I ask the Leibniz law question, I'm going to want to know, uh, how do you know, or what makes it true that you've got two particles instead of just one particle? Yeah, you might say, well, one is at that end of the accelerator, or whatever, or that, or this one is. Uh, and the answer is just that the mathematics treats them as two. I guess. I mean, that the structure itself it comes out of there that there's two instead of one, even though there are no other relations which distinguish them as being this one. So this one as opposed to that one. I mean, that's the rough idea. Um, no. Yeah, I don't know why you why you don't like about that idea. I like Leibniz pretty, law. I'm not going to give that up until something um, else comes along. The nice thing about the balls is they don't exist. Well, th exactly. So I think Austin was really talking about uh, conceptual possibilities, which is what we started out with. So we weren't talking about building one of these things, although, of course, the quantum stuff does suggest their actuality. Uh, but he was simply saying that uh, if you're worried about conceivable invert cases, yeah. then here's something you can say, that there are plenty of conceivable inversions which the things still come out as being distinct, even though they're, you can't tell from the outside which is which, so to speak. I like your, your response about magic. Uh-huh. If you wanted to, to show how this is conceivable, you could just get, say, well, the person believes in magic and they imagine, them, uh, they imagine some magical thing that will distinguish them. Yeah, I mean, that's not what's going on here. <laughs> no, the Austin Clark is supposed to have something better, and I'm not. <laughs> I kind of like your magic point. Uh-huh. But the whatever. So that's a demeaning thing to say, but all right.
No, I think it's perfectly non-magical what's going on here. There's a system which is defined in such a way that it's a consequence of which that there are more, the things are distinct. That's very clear. <laughs> you don't agree with it, but you haven't said anything except for I don't agree with it. But in the, so the, in the math case, <laughs> it's supposed to be the, the entirety of mathematics you could like remap onto itself. Like the, the what? The, with I and negative I, you can swap them and preserve all the truths, yeah. But in there, the, there's no there's no sense in which I is required and negative I can't do the job or vice versa. They're totally in, interchangeable in all senses. And it's just merely notational. Yes. Well, but, and, but, but yet they're distinct because they're defined as being distinct. One's positive and one's negative. <laughs> so that's the weak. I mean, it's a very weak claim that's being made that there's a super weak sense in which the sis, the structure itself simply yeah. tells you that they're distinct. So therefore, of course, they're distinct. But the structure itself, I mean, it doesn't talk. It's some, somebody writes something down and they say, look, this thing is distinct from that thing. And so yeah. therefore, it's true. Therefore, really is distinct. Uh, because it's a the theory treats them as distinct. So that the theory, I mean, you really, so you really think that negative three and three are not distinct? Or are you saying for the I case, maybe it's more, you think I and negative I aren't separate, distinct things? So I think if you double down on your theory, you might you're gonna be forced to say that. Um, well, when we're talking about like the numbers, we're not talking about numerals. We're talking about the numbers. Yeah. And that brings in questions like, well, what what are the numbers? Well, they're structural things. Remember, we're talking about structuralism. Yeah, but I mean, one way of of so they're Dedekind slight cuts or whatever you know of the infinite. Or maybe the, you're giving uh, a von, von Neumann set theoretic construction. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Whatever they are, they're structures. Well, on, depending on there's some cases of what they are that there's going to be structural differences. There's going to be a different. There's going to be a structural difference between three and negative three, for example. Mm -hmm. um, the question was just: Is there conceivable cases of inversions where you can't tell because structurally they're all the same. And the answer is, yeah, you can conceive of some cases like that. Here's one addition with integers that's conceivable and it's people use it actually. It's not, now you could add some other stuff in, but the question is just, uh, is there a possible case? So yeah, there are possible cases. It's not, but, but what makes it possible is that there's some theory that says that it's possible. Yeah. And it's well-defined mathematical theory that works. So what's wrong with that? Yeah, I guess I, I guess I would need to know more about the, the mathematical theory. Like, it's really, it's really true that, that, like, it's generally accepted that there's no differences between one and negative one, aside from it's asserted in the theory that they are different. That's 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 non-controversial. If, if you're a structuralist, under oh. addition, I mean, we're talking about addition here. I mean, it was a limited case. So, if there are other things that negative one and one can factor in, then yeah, but. Well, okay, that was, that was so what I was asking about, whether, whether this is supposed to work by looking at some small fragment of mathematics and saying... Well, for the, for the integers, that. it did, yeah, but so the, the, the claim was it's impossible that there could be such a space. The answer was, here's such a space. <laughs> so that you don't need to have all of mathematics to make that claim. You just need to show that there is a conceptual way of, of doing it that doesn't lead to absurdity and which still gives you... Um, things which are distinct yet invertible and is not detectable. But suppose I wrote down a theory. It says uh, there exists Richard and there exists Ryland, and uh, Richard is is um, not Ryland and Ryland is not Richard. 
And then that's yes. it. That's the whole theory. Yeah. Um, now, could we, could, is that theory invertible? Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's invertible. Um, yeah. It, now, is, is there nothing aside from the theory which would distinguish Richard from Ryland? Well, no, there's all sorts of things. There's things that aren't mentioned in the theory, like one's taller than the other one, and one is closer to um, gas station on the corner than the right. other one is, and so on. And so, so if we if we look at this, we can find some larger structure that is asymmetrical and, and thus not invertible, in virtue of which they really are different. Right, and that's fine. The question was just, is there any structure that is invertible? So but I don't know like why you're going crazy on the other end. really true. <laughs> No, many people have claimed it's not. Well, uh, if you think it's really true, then what are people saying that it's impossible that there could be any such structure which was invertible in this way and not detectable? <laughs> in fact, people have said, a la Quine, it makes no sense to assert such a thing, blah, 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 because empirical testability equals understandability, homina, homina, blah. So that's, it's just a counterexample to that. It's not supposed to be some giant claim. It's just that there are cases like this that can't you can have spaces that are invertible but i want to know why they aren't just the tribute the, the richard ryland thing seems trivial right that that, that, that you can well, that's not a quality theory. space that's yeah exactly but it's, a, it's a structure it's a theory it's a that's invertible yeah uh but nonetheless it, there is something that is that would distinguish those things aside from the fact that the theory asserts that they are distinct right right so and you I, tell me i want to know if math is like that 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 the so the 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 distinct entities in math. Yes, well, not all math, but some things like I and negative I, as I've said previously multiple times. Yes, for that. No, for a lot of with, I I and negative <laughs> I, which I, you know, I don't know very much math. Maybe I completely misunderstand the example, but what I'm hearing makes it sound like the Richard and Ryland case. That uh -huh. it's just asserted that they're distinct. Yes, which is the claim. But that's trivial. Their distinctness then is trivial. Yes, it's been a very minimal sense of distinctness. <laughs> you call it trivial. I say it's minimal, whatever. The claim is they're weakly discernible because I is not negative I, even though in any given case, you wouldn't be able to tell which was doing which if you if only had access but to then, it. But then I don't see that the, 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 the point is any different than your uh, magic point. And again, I'm not, I don't, I mean, the I magic case. Point. I'm not trying. The magic to... case is something different. So a magic, uh, you know, somebody says you. It's impossible that a bird could fly without flapping its wings. And I say, I'm imagining a bird with no wings. That's flying. Yeah. Can I do that? Yes, I just did. It's easy. How did yeah. I do it? Um, well, you know, magic happened, and there are different laws of physics which entail that birds can maintain, or maybe it's in outer laws of physics, yeah. or like it is in deep space, whatever. Right. So you know, but that's if I ask you, that's if not I magic. Ask you if I ask you how is the bird able to fly, yeah. you're basically just telling me it, it is. Right, it is I would say fly. it's not, uh, it's not um, there's no, there's no uh, contradiction in claiming that it just is. Because that's how a lot of things appear to us. There'd be some explanation which we don't know and blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. So we, we have this theory that says there's a bird and it's flying. And yes. there's nothing in the theory that says how it's able to fly. It's not a theory, I was imagining something, but yeah. Well, there's a way of thinking about theory whereby it's just a, a set of representations. You've got this okay. set of representations. They represent yeah. a bird. They represent it as flying. It doesn't. I was represent. merely talking about what is conceivable and Concept, well, what counts as magic. Those are concepts. So here's two different sets of conceptions. 
One of them uh, says there's a bird and it's flying, the end. The other one says there's a bird and it's flying and it's magic making it flying. Are, you think those are distinct? Um, those aren't just notational variants? The one that says, well, it's just flying and the other one says it's flying but it's magic. Uh, I mean, it depends on what you mean by magic. I don't That's know right. what, so Here's I'm not sure what you One thing that magic is, is like it's a miracle. <laughs> There's no explanation. It just happens. Um, Otherwise, it's not magic. It's a law of nature. Yeah, so there could be some law of nature that I don't know about. That would seem like magic. I, mean, un I don't know. An unknowable law of nature. Yeah, that's not inconsistent. Do you think that's magic? I mean, whatever. I don't think that would be magic then. I, okay. I, I so think I mean, magic that's what I'm saying. When you say it's magic, it could be something like unknowable laws explain it, or it could be no person could ever understand what explains it, or it could be there's no cause for it doing it. Well, there's no cause. That's the first, the, the first bird thing that I was describing. So there's a bird, it's flying, that's it. Yeah. That's it, nothing else. Well, how is the bird flying? It's just flying. I could, that's easily imaginable. I agree with that. And, yeah. and I, that's I, all I was making a claim about, what counts yeah. as imaginable. So what I wanna know, and again, I'm not trying to criticize Austin Clark's view, I just wanna know how that's supposed to be different from the thing that you're saying, which by the way, I think is a good point. Like of uh -huh. course these things are, are conceivable. Glamo, here's a, here's a set of conceptions. It just, they, they leave out how, uh, any kind of details about what would distinguish them. They are just treated as distinct in the theory. The well, theory there are no perfect. details that you can give to distinguish them. That's the claim. Because the, the, they're just structural relations and they're symmetric. But I, that's why I think we should have him. I mean, he would be better at yeah. his own view than me. I might be. Well, saying, I like him a lot. I'd, I'd love to have what I got from the view. And I thought it was a yeah. nice point, actually, very, very nice. But uh, yeah, I well, mean, look, I'm not. So I, I think that a lot of people were having similar worries. Like, I guess one, one different way of putting the same worry, not well, maybe, maybe not. But one way of worrying about the view is by asking um, how could a creature discriminate between the two perceptible properties which, was, which were inverted? Um, right. So if there is no way to behaviorally tell, then so that's I think the way Rosenthal wants to deny this kind of stuff is to say that quality spaces are set up in virtue of what the animal can discriminate. Right. Um, and so if you're saying that you could flip it and it makes all the same discriminations in its behavior, then in, in, in from a quality space point of view, you haven't you don't have any reason to posit the mental quality. And for a lot, I think this is kind of an important point to bring it back to things more related to the conference was that. One of the things David kept saying was that there seems that people want to do the theory in the other direction than he does. So people will start with, here are the mental qualities. Now here are the relations between them. How do they connect up the things out there? Whereas David wants to say, look, you only posit the mental qualities as theoretical entities to explain behaviors that animals make. Right. So when you show an animal two different things and it says, this one is different than that one. That's a behavior that you need to explain. So you posit something, aha, something internal, which is representing the difference between the two. So that you don't start with the mental qualities as some set given thing. You start the other way by with just the behavior of the animal. And then you have to do a lot of theorizing, even get to the point where you say there's a mental red or a mental blue or a mental pain or something like that. Whereas a lot of people seem to think, no, you start with the mental blues and mental pains. Maybe that's the difference between the consciousness-based approaches and the um, you know, perceptual role-based approaches or whatever that David wants to have. A lot of people want to start from the inside. Oh, right there, right there's the mental blue. I'm aware of it. Right. <laughs>
Um, so I think that's a kind of fundamental difference in the way people think about mental qualities. Right. I think yeah. that's right. Which would, I mean, so, and I, there's, I mean, I think in some sense, maybe Austin is thinking about them in this, I mean, he's a, a you know, quality space person as well, but you know, his, what he wants to preserve is that what defines them is just their relations. But yet, even so there's conceivable cases of inversion without detection. Yeah. Um, so, you know, David wants to deny that and Austin right. wants to say, well, there's a sense in which I can conceive of that. Uh, but, but even so, I would say that both of them are focused. So again, my, our Iman Magic point, I think both of them are sort of focused on the wrong level. Since if you want to get inversion cases, to me, it would be inversions in the higher thoughts themselves. So that if you wanted to get what people like that were first order theorists, what they really were thinking about was not inversions of mental qualities, but inversions in conscious experience of mental qualities. So, and I think there it's much easier once you have intentionality in the picture, it's much easier to tell stories about how inversions could happen. So, you know, there's that Ned Block famous case of, you know, um, uh, the things get inverted, but you have a disease, so you say the opposite name. <laughs> so you have right. a thought, I am seeing red, but because you were hit on the head, you say, I am seeing blue. Right. <laughs> Even though the thought is, I, so in that case, you would have the experience of seeing blue according to the theory, but no one could be able to detect it because your mental qualities would be all the same. So all the behavior button pressing would be the same. Your reports would always be the same because you use the opposite words when you report because of the magic uh, disease that we invented. Um, but your conscious experience would be systematically different from everybody else's conscious experience due to the intentional contents of the higher states. So seems to me that yes, if you, I've always long thought that if you take everything the higher, uh, first order theory say and just move it up to a level of higher thoughts, then you could tell a, a similar kind of story uh, that captures in some sense what they were thinking originally but got mistranslated because Rosenthal says no mental qualities and then higher right. thoughts and consciousness goes that way, not this way. Space, Thank you.